Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. Where we have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What's up, Mr. Cope? How are you doing? Life's good, man. How are you doing? Good, good. Very excited to to get this started, and uh, hopefully uh, excited for the season to smart tomorrow, you know? It's It's been way too long. Yeah. Um, for me, at least as a fan. So give us wait. a little bit, of, a little bit of something to uh, while we are all enjoying our families this holiday season. Give us a little a little something extra to to get some time away. Take take some time to enjoy, enjoy ourselves, enjoy the game while uh, taking maybe a short break from some of our families. Something yeah. uh, I can say that I need definitely, you know, but one hundred percent, yeah. For for the young people like us in our country who just are finishing up college but are forced to uh, go home for the entire year because of COVID nineteen, a lot of time, a lot of extra time spent at home with our parents. So, a lot of a lot of extra podcast being started, um, just like this one. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're hopping on that bandwagon. So once again. My name is Nolan Cope. Uh, I grew up playing baseball and hockey and not basketball. But over the last 10 years or so, through uh, a growing sports awareness and a growing uh, obsession with Bill Simmons podcasts, I have developed a very healthy love of this game. While I hold no specific team allegiance. I do hold an appreciation for the uh, very talented players, incredible coaches, and uh, teams that just generally enhance the experience of being a basketball fan. Riley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, again, I'm Riley Gaucher, and I have even less experience with basketball in real life than Nolan. Um, This is going to maybe undermine my credibility here, but I think it's important for the listeners to know that I cannot, in fact, dribble a basketball uh, effectively, Um, but I have become obsessed with the sport uh, since the end of the uh, 2013-2014 season, or actually, sorry, 2012-2013 season, um, because I live very close to the Bay Area, and the, the team that just happens to be there uh, was on the rise and had some really exciting players. And I thought, you know, this is something that's interesting and I'm, I'm going to get into it. And that just happened to coincide with the formulation of one of the greatest dynasties of all time. And so for, for greater context, you know, I, I come into this as a Warriors fan, first and foremost, and then a fan of basketball uh, at large. Um, I, I like to say that I, I jumped on the bandwagon a little bit early, but in order to kind of 
uh, support that that bandwagon fandom. I have I've really tried to dedicate myself to learning as much as I possibly can about basketball as a league, as a sport, um, as a as an intellectual exercise, and and just as fun. And so I I take some very specific kind of philosophical things um, from the way that the Warriors play and and the things that I enjoy, and I try and apply that lens to learning and thinking about the league as a whole, um, and and growing beyond just being uh, obsessed with a team that that did some pretty incredible things. And I can say that uh, you do a good job uh, in all of our conversations we've had of going beyond being a homer and also being uh, someone who appreciates the NBA and appreciates the game and has their own opinions that may be Golden State influenced, but are not Golden State dominant. Certainly, yeah. And I... I... I want to stress that I I think at this point I feel pretty confident that I that I know what I'm talking about you know um, maybe not from experience but I, I think I've I've watched enough basketball and seen uh, enough things that are not just Bay Area centric to the point that I that I feel that it's worthwhile for me to even be on this podcast so I'm excited to, to talk with you Nolan and to get our our thoughts and and our opinions out there. So I want to take a second to really quickly talk about what we want this show to be, okay? A hockey assist is a curious name for a basketball podcast, but a hockey assist is a pass made just before an actual assist, right? It's a team first play that doesn't directly lead to a basket, but directly contributes to team success. It's something not always seen or appreciated by fans until pointed out to them. And that's why we created this podcast, right? To appreciate the things that go under the radar, to discuss the finer points of the game, and to have conversations that give basketball fans a deeper perspective by connecting what's happening on the court to what's going on uh, in the sport at large. Okay. So uh, Riley, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit more about why, why we wanted to do this? Sure. Um, I think the first thing to say is that, you know, admittedly, neither of us are experts by any means, you know, we're not doing this because we are paid to, or because we have decades of experience, but it's something that we're both really interested in, really passionate about. And it's, it's something that we've had a lot of really fun and really provocative conversations uh, about over the last couple of years um, since we've met and really become friends. And so we wanted to find an outlet for those conversations and also wanted to, to push ourselves, I think, to, to make those conversations even more functional, even more, um, you know, useful to us, but also to share with other people and see if anybody else could get some, some enjoyment, some entertainment or some uh, learning or, or, or their own kind of questioning their own thinking um, based on the things that we're going to talk about here. So that's, that's why I'm here. And that's why I think you're here too. Is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, that's really great. That was, that was really well said. And I think We've had the conversation maybe four or five times where we've gone super in-depth over text or call 
or FaceTime talking about something happening in basketball at that time. And at the end of the conversation, go, you know, man, we should, shit, we should start a podcast, right? And mm-hmm. it, it, it never actually happened until, until just last week, uh, we were having a conversation about whether certain teams from the Western Conference specifically were contenders or not. And we said what we've said before, let's, let's do this, let's do a podcast. But this time, we're finally taking the steps to follow through on that. And so inspired from that conversation that we had just last week, for our first topic in our first episode, we want to talk a little bit about the contenders coming up for this 2020-2021 basketball season and who we view as pretenders. So the contenders, the teams that we think actually have a chance to win the championship this year, and the pretenders, the teams that a lot of talking heads and a lot of people will claim are going to be contenders, but we see as uh, being a little bit more smoke and mirrors, missing something that's actually going to take these teams to the next level. Yeah, and for me, that actually it begs the question, what is a contender in the first place? Um, not, not even to say like who are the teams that are going to really contend this year, but it's like when we say that word, what do we mean by that? That's that's going to be a theme I think of this podcast for me. It's something I, I'm very passionate about. Is like if nobody is understanding words the same, if we don't uh, all think about the same thing when we hear a word, then we can't have conversations, and that that goes beyond basketball or, or the NBA or anything. It's just like if if we don't all assume the same thing when we hear something then all those conversations are, are moot. And so I really kind of want to take this opportunity to talk a little bit more about like what makes a team a contender and what do we say, what do we mean when we say what is a contender? Absolutely. So just, Let's put this into words. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, the first thing for me, you know, makes a team uh, qualify as a contender is, is a team that doesn't need a dozen things or whatever, a bunch of what ifs to break right for them to make it to the finals and to win the finals, you know? Um, a lot of the times when when people say the word contender, they, they mean teams that in some uh, astronomical percentage of the time could be seen as potentially winning a title, you know, if, if everything breaks right, if, if they have a bunch of players who reach their ceiling and whatnot. When I say contender, I, I'm talking about the teams that have a realistic shot that I would feel, you know, comfortable betting money on, uh, even though I don't really bet uh, like some of our other friends shout out shout out vance um but there are teams you know that it's, it's very very plausible to see that their path could end up um with with lifting the larry o'brien trophy and and another component uh for me to that is not having glaring matchup issues or not having an obvious achilles heel that from our vantage point right now before the season has even started we can point to someone and say Yes, they're great. Yes, they should be in the same realm as some of these other teams that we expect to be there. But if you take, for example, a team like the the Portland Trailblazers, I look at that team and I go, I see the size of their their point guards and their starting backcourt. And I just say, that's a problem that I don't think they have a way to solve. And that's something that I think is going to prevent them from being a contender from potentially winning a title. And so for me, that makes them not as a contender because it's easy for idiots like me to sit here and go, there's there's a flaw right there and I don't know how you fix it. 
Right. Yeah. Do you have, do you have thoughts on that? You know, we've had this conversation before. We've talked about this, this uh, many times personally. And I think uh, we'll be able to elaborate a little bit more when we go into our list of contenders versus pretenders. So uh, I don't have much, much to add at this point, but I, I am curious to hear your list of contenders. And I think there's going to be some in there that we agree on. And I think there's going to be some uh, that we disagree on. And I'm, I'm excited to hear your list. So why don't you, why sure. don't you tell me your list of contenders? Sure. Uh, yeah. So the teams that I think are contenders for the season are the Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat, the Clippers, and the Raptors. Um, that's not necessarily exhaustive. You know, I could see arguments for other guys, other teams sneaking in there, but those are the five, at least at this point, that I'm comfortable saying that's a contender. Okay. So uh, I, I've got one more team on my contenders list than you numbers-wise, but I, I we actually uh, don't line up perfectly on a lot of these. I have the Lakers as well. I have the Clippers as well, and I have the Celtics as well. But instead of the Heat and the Raptors, I have the Nuggets, Mavericks, and Bucks. Hmm. And so when I, when I look at these two lists, we are each a little unbalanced where, uh, where one side – is more one, one of us has more in one conference than another, but I am so curious as to you having three Eastern conference teams versus sure. only two Western conference teams. And I want to start, sure. I want to start with the Raptors. Cause that's the one that, that really came out of left field for me. And I, I want to hear why you've got them Interesting. Uh, as, as having a legitimate chance of, of winning it all this year. Yeah. Um, I think for me, number one, it starts with coaching. Um, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call Nick Nurse the best coach in the league, but he, a lot of pundits that I respect um, think that's true. And so he's also proven that he knows how to adapt and, and take a team to the title. I think championship experience, quote unquote, um, is actually seriously significant. I think it, it gives you the knowledge of what it takes to win and what the, the necessary steps are in the regular season and in the playoffs and what that challenge is going to be like. So I think those are some very esoteric things that I, that I believe in. Um, But also from just a pure uh, personnel standpoint, I still think that the Raptors have some of the best wings in the league. Um, Pascal Siakam, the defense of OG and Anubi. Um, Kyle Lowry has just been a winner his uh, entire career in uh, Toronto, maybe not so much in the playoffs, but he, he does the sort of things, right, that, that lead to winning. Um, yeah, I, I, I recognize that they lost a couple important pieces in Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, but I think the, those, those guys have, you know, they're on the downward slope of their career, so I don't think it was a huge loss. Resigning for them was big for them. And so in general, I just, I believe in their personnel as uh, a unit that I think can can coalesce and and has really interchangeable parts that Nick Nurse is going to plug in um, up and down uh, depending on you know what the situation is he's going to try crazy things that other coaches aren't prepared for he's going to be more adaptable than a lot of his opponents um, and I also believe that there's a step for Pascal Siakam as 
hopefully the best player on that team to to rise to. You know, he jumped up a bunch in usage uh, last year and, and was taking a lot more tough shots. And so that caused uh, his efficiency to, to come down. Um, but as somebody who came to the game really late, who has improved every single year, year over year, possibly could have won most improved player like back to back or three times in a row. Um, I, I still believe that him getting comfortable without Kawhi there anymore and, and continuing to develop and continually improve on his skills really gives them somebody who has the potential at least to become a number one option that's that's viable and, and able to take them really deep playoffs. And so I just think the, the confluence of all those factors, having a great general manager who can make changes and will be not afraid to make changes, all of the things to me put the Raptors in this tier. Uh, you raise a lot of interesting points there. And I, I think... I think you're absolutely right with Nick Nurse being a huge advantage that the Raptors have over almost every other team in the league in terms of head coach, right? A head coach who's willing to experiment in this modern game and uh, really give his team an advantage in that way. And I also don't think that losing Gasol and Ibaka is going to hurt them too much uh, at the end of the day. It might hurt them in the regular season, it's definitely going to hurt their depth, but their best lineups in the playoffs this past year were with OG at the five, which allows them to unleash their own version of the lineup of death uh, with uh, Spicy P and Fred Van Fleet and Lowry and whoever else you want running around in that other forward Norm spot. Norm Powell, yeah. James Davis, if, if he's uh, you know cleared or, or able to play, not sure what the results of, of his off-court um, misbehavior are going to be. But yeah, no, that's, I think that's a really, really good point too. Now, I do have a question for you. When, sure. uh, when this team is going up against uh, the Celtics or the Bucks in a hard-fought Eastern Conference semifinals, right? Who's, who's taken over? in that last two minutes of the fourth quarter? Who has the shot creation ability that makes them inevitable towards that victory, right? Because when when I saw them play against the Celtics, that was an incredible series last year. But what it came down to was the Celtics had Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker to a certain degree to close. And the Raptors didn't have that guy. So, so who's taken over in the last two minutes for, for your, for your Raptors this year? In a tight yeah. Game? I mean, I, I, I won, I believe that Siakam can get there. Um, I know his game is unconventional and I know it's not the prototypical, you know, closing kind of guy, but I still think like the growth he's shown, I, I, I think that's possible. Um, and I also think Kyle Lowry's underrated in that regard, right? Like he doesn't have the, the, the reputation of being that guy. Um, and yeah, he didn't, wasn't able to accomplish that as much in that series, but I still think that series, you know, went seven games if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah, maybe that was like off a lucky shot, but, but to me, any shot, any series that goes seven proves those teams are, are neck and neck and that they're close and that it's not a lopsided uh, battle. And so I think if we consider the Celtics, uh, which we both do to be contenders, um, if the Raptors were, were neck and neck with them and could have uh, made 
like a, a conference finals and, and gone right on there, I'm gonna I'm gonna put them up there. All with, right. with the Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I I and, I'm sorry. One one last thing too. Yeah, go is, for it. Go for it. Um if we're gonna get to the Bucks, I'm sure, at a later point, but I think part of the reason that I have faith in the Raptors is because I don't have faith in the Bucks. And so those things are, are tied together. Well, well, let's do it. Let, let's get into the Bucks okay. because the Bucks have uh, the Bucks are one of my contenders, and they're not one of your contenders. Uh, just like the Raptors are one of yours and not one of mine. So yeah, I'll I'll spoil it a little bit. They are the first team that I listed under pretenders. Right. So I disagree, and I wanna I wanna tell you why. And uh, for me. I think that uh, it's been it's been pretty clear over the last decade that you uh, the, the the last decade and even further back pretty pretty much any NBA champion I there's very few NBA champions out there who won the championship without having one of the premier basketball players in the league that season right? Yeah. So if there's only a handful of premier basketball players in the league at one time, which there usually is, then that handful of teams for me it are the true contenders. And Giannis is one of those premier guys, right? He is a back-to-back MVP winner. He's the defensive player of the year. He is an absolute, they call him the Greek, the Greek freak for a reason. And it's because what he does on a basketball court shouldn't be possible, right? So a lot of the, the size elements of Shaq with the athletic elements of LeBron, he has not yet put together that outside shot that a lot of us want to see. But for me, it starts and being a contender starts and ends with having one of those guys that can take over a game and in really meaningful ways that can influence the game in really meaningful ways. And while we haven't necessarily seen uh, what we've wanted from Giannis in uh, in terms of playoff success over the last few years, he's just now entering his prime. He's gotten better every single year that he's been a part of the league. And one of these years, I think there's a very real chance that we see Giannis level up in the playoffs. Like we haven't seen him do before. And maybe that means coach bud unleashing him to the full amount and playing him more than 30 minutes a game for Mm -hmm. the love of God. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, watching him absolutely plow through a team. Right. And so I, I think that, there isn't a single player in the league who can match Giannis and the things that Giannis wants to do until he gets to the finals with Anthony Davis. Right. And depending on uh, what the Lakers look like at that point, then I don't know if even that could stop a fully unleashed Giannis. Right. Now you start to add in, he's got drew holiday, right. He's got a little bit less busyness on the outside. So having a more reliable uh, guard, fill in the Eric Bledsoe spot and Chris Middleton isn't enough to carry a playoff team on his own, but he can sure as hell be a good second banana. Right. So I, I think there, I think there's a very clear path, a path that I think is clearer for me than for a team like Toronto. 
Sure. No, all of that's fair. And I like I have to I have to preface this this rebuttal that I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with right now by saying Giannis is my favorite player in the NBA, even even more than my beloved Steph Curry. Um I I just love the man. I love his game, I love his personality, I love his commitment to you know to re-signing there, but also just his commitment to to becoming a better player. Um and so I've I've adopted the Bucks as kind of like my second favorite team. So I've followed um them pretty closely the last couple of years, whether that's podcast or following the beat writers or watching watching a ton of their games. And so where I come at the Bucks is that all of last year, some really, really smart people were saying, yeah, they're destroying the league. Yes, they're they're on the 70 win pace. Their their numbers are phenomenal. And they didn't buy it. All these people who I I respected were saying, I don't really buy it. And for me, it, it's I've always kind of um so especially when the Warriors were destroying the league, that like you are who your numbers say you are, right? Like if you are destroying everyone, if your your offensive rating, your net rating is is historic, which the Bucks was and, and the Warriors were too, like that's what and matters at the end of the day, because most of the champions end up coming from from those teams that have their uh, their net rating and their 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 peripherals kind of, you know being in this this upper tier and so i i was i was steadfast i was like no the bucks the bucks are going to just show everyone they're going to prove you all wrong in the playoffs it's going to be fine and what happened was the team that everyone predicted was going to be their achilles heel the miami heat absolutely destroyed them oh no it's a little bit unfair because Giannis got hurt but the the points i think that you've already raised about bud one not playing his starters like playoff level minutes, even when he was down, even when he was in dire situations. Uh, I, I I used to have faith that he would he would change things up. He would start switching more. He might play Giannis at the five. He might do some sort of tactical things that I would expect of a coach of his caliber, you know, who's who's coached some really, really successful teams and learned from some really great people like Greg Popovich. Um, but at this point, I'm currently, especially with Bud, maybe not with Giannis, but with Bud really saying until you can show me that you're willing to change, that you're willing to adapt, that you're willing to, to do the Nick Nurse or willing to run your starters out there super heavy minutes because they're your best players. I don't believe it's going to happen. And so until Bud in the playoffs, the end of the year, like is, is able to demonstrate that he's willing to be flexible and that also the, the way they play is going to be flexible because they have this system, this five-out system, Brooke Lopez on the perimeter, these guys spotting up and not a lot of motion, not a lot of, Giannis as the uh, the roller in the pick and roll, like until some of those things change. As much as I love the Bucks and much as I really want them to succeed, I call them pretenders because I I need to see Giannis develop not maybe a three point shot, but a more consistent fadeaway. His free free throw shooting has been trending in the wrong direction. He was down in the sixties uh, percentage wise last year, and that's a real concern because. Hacky Giannis starts to become more and more plausible. And that's nothing that anybody who's a basketball fan wants to see, but I, I have serious concerns. And so I think they're going to destroy the regular season again. I think Drew Holiday is a great player. I love swapping him for Eric Blesto. They lost a little bit of depth in George Hill. Um, and now it's it's a question of like, can they adapt? And so until until I see that, and when I see it, I'm all on board. But at this point, I don't know. So earlier in your definition for what makes a contender, the contender yeah. can't have uh, any glaring weaknesses. 
right? Yeah. So if you if you had to throw a label on the glaring weakness for the Bucks, where do you put that label? Sure, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, I think there's two. I think it's one that Bud won't play his starters. Like you pointed out, he won't play them more than 33, 34, 35 minutes. Like until you start to treat the playoffs as a different sport than the regular season, and until you're willing to to adapt and just because the problem has been that other teams once they game plan for the Bucks, they they figure them out. Like Spolstra figure them out. Nurse figure them out in the previous um that shellacking when they went up 2-0 and then lost four in a row, right? The These opposing coaches, as soon as they get to sit down and watch the way the Bucks play and figure out a game plan, it's easy um, to, to kind of build a wall. And so that's that's number one. And then number two is is if you build a wall at Giannis, I'm not sure that he's figured out a way to get around that, right? You, you the, the, the Raptors were the first team to do this, to – have his man sink off a ton and then put two people on the lane on the edges of the, the paint, right. And prevent him any sort of driving lanes and just count on the somewhat mediocre shooters that they have who have hit shots when they're open and have hit shots when they get a lot of volume, but aren't really the kind of caliber shooters that you would think of like Kyle Korver back in the day in Atlanta, who Bud you know, could rely on, um, or the Splash Brothers or Kevin Durant, you know, any of these guys who really actually like spread the court. So until I see Giannis be able to figure out how to beat that strategy, I'm not sure that I, I can overlook that. And I would call that their fatal flaw. Okay. You make some really good points. Uh, I will leave it at, if I had to give my, if I, if I had to stake my reputation on a team or, or, or believe in a team as a contender, I will take one with the best or second best player in the league. I, I, I think fair. I think that's that there's fair. I think that their ceiling is NBA champion. I don't totally, know if it, totally. I don't know if it'll happen because just like you, I feel like Coach Bud has some real easy changes to make that all NBA fans have been screaming about for two straight postseasons. I want to see yep. those changes made. Yep. But I, I believe that a, the ceiling for the team with the reigning two-time back-to-back MVP is an NBA champion. That's No, that's totally fair. Uh, and we'll see who's right at the end of the season. I've I just been burned twice, you know? Totally. That's, that's where I'm coming from. So Okay, let's, there's, let's there's, talk about – There's two more um, teams on here that, yeah. that I, I think we have a worthwhile conversation about. And before we get to them, let's just really quickly blow through – uh, the other the three teams on this list that we agree on, okay. Sure, sure. The Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and I don't know if any other team in the league has an appropriate answer for that. I know I know that uh, there are concerns about their depth in, in in certain places, but if Caruso can continue to be the high level defender that he is, and if Taylor Horton Tucker ends up being flat out special, like LeBron says he is, then I think some of those questions might be solved. And again, LeBron and AD being greater than just about any other NBA duo right now is a strong, convincing case. With one of the other top NBA duos being the other team we both have on our lists, the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I'm optimistic that Trez was the locker room problem. And I'm optimistic hmm. that with uh, Ty Lue, more of a more of a whole team players coach 
uh, at the at the front of the bench and uh, with Serge Ibaka, Kawhi Leonard's apparent only friend in the NBA, <laughs> being being on yeah. that team in that backup uh, five spot, I think we both agree that there is uh, a, an absolute world where Kawhi Leonard goes nuclear and playoff P actually lives up to the billing somewhat and they uh, yeah. they make it all the way. Do you have any other quick thoughts about either LA yeah. team? I'll, I'll try and keep this short. Um, the Lakers, you know, I, I kind of run the assumption that unless you lose something drastic from a championship level team, that they, they, they should still be considered contenders, right? Like they, they've proven it. No questions there. Um, and the Clippers, I, I really actually agonized over this a little bit because so did I. I, I, I tend to think that like mentality uh, is an overblown word and we you know we tie this up in some like toxic masculinity almost when we're trying to like analyze these guys like mindset and how tough they are and whatnot and so uh, I think Paul George has gotten laughed at too much but also he didn't play well those those two things can both be true um, and I, I so I think it, it comes down to like they have the wings and the wings are king right like that's what everything kind of um, ends up and so if if they are the players that we think they are and like you said that the locker room dynamic is improved which I don't know that it can be any worse so maybe it gets a little bit better um, yeah and I, I I think not just the locker room though Trez was probably a problem in the playoffs too from everything probably. I've heard there was a lot of yeah okay okay he was definitely a problem um, on the court and so I think getting you know uh, Ibaka who's just so much more capable on defense um even if he's not the same shot blocker that he was in okc he, he's still much more solid much more balanced as a player offensive defense right and so um when zubats was like everyone who was smart was clamoring for zubats to play and doc wouldn't do it that's when i think getting rid of the guy that he was playing over him and forcing i mean i'm not obviously now it's Tyloo but forcing a just better players into that position is really, really going to make a difference. So I still think their talent level and their ceiling, which to me is pretty easy to reach based on who they've been in the past. I, I put that right there. Yeah. And then the other team that we agreed on on this list was the Celtics. And I think that's twofold. Number one, the thing that everyone's talking about is Jason Tatum leveled up to superstar last year. Right. He went from promising yep. young guy to superstar and he showed that in the regular season and he showed that in the playoffs. Right. Easy enough Two, clearing the floor for more of him and Jalen Brown. I think Gordon Hayward in a vacuum is a really tough loss, but Gordon Hayward is also an ex all-star, also a max player, also a guy who demands shots and attention. And I'd rather see, everything be run through uh, Jalen Brown as well as Jason Tatum. And then the underrated thing that I think is really going to help them is I think Tristan Thompson is a dramatic upgrade over Daniel Theis. And the reason the Celtics lost to the heat was Bam Adebayo. And I think while Tristan Thompson isn't the same level as Bam offensively is much better suited to handling him defensively than Daniel Theis was just like two years, uh, two, three years ago, Tristan Thompson was LeBron's guy. And uh, in the finals four years in a row, 
I don't think that guy is gone yet. And I'm excited to see him on a team with lower responsibility and Brad Stevens to sort of scheme him through things. Now, totally. I, but, I have to, yeah. When I, when I like, I'm thinking about Tristan Thompson, I have to like separate the Kardashian kind of influence and I have to separate my association um, with him as like the enemy during the, the Cavs Warriors uh, three in a row tournament. Um, Four in a row. In the final. Four in a row. Excuse me. I don't know how I forgot that. That last. Uh, I just, you know I just don't pretend like that. Uh, that season where they uh, blew a three-one lead happens. Uh, right. Yeah. But so I, I I think yeah he's he's an upgrade. Um, and like Stevens really is one of the other keys for you know like I said it comes down to coaching especially in the playoffs because um, this is something I wanted to bring up earlier and I kind of forgot about it's like for me the playoffs are really about weaknesses and about your ability to cover your own weaknesses and attack the other team's weaknesses. And that comes from flexibility or having just so much talent that it doesn't matter. And in this case, the talent's really good. They have two of maybe the 10 best wings in, in, in the league. They have, you know, really good talent and Marcus Smart and, and some really intriguing role players. My um, guy, Marcus but, Smart. <laughs> RIP to uh, Tommy Heinsohn. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, Brad Stevens has shown he knows how to coach and he knows how to to do things in the playoffs that, that get his teams places that maybe their talent shouldn't necessarily take them. You know, they were with the Heat pretty close too. And so I, I expect them to be right there. Yeah. So who do you want to talk about next? Your last contender or my last contender? I think that's a good segue into the Heat. Um, yeah, let's what, first hit me with your why you didn't have them listed here and why uh, to spoil it again. They're in your pretenders. Yeah, so this one was one that I I thought about a little bit. I initially had them on my contender list, and then I moved them off that contender list. And I moved them off that contender list for two reasons. One, I think last postseason may. It, it could it, it may have been them showing that that was who they were the entire time, but it also may have been another example of everything sort of falling like one one of those things where a, a few different things break right for them to advance deep into the playoffs. And now I think of all the teams on these lists, I think the Heat are the one that could most easily bite me in the butt by me not labeling them as contenders and them once again running uh, through the East and whatnot. But I'm hesitant because I think that Jay Crowder, surprisingly, was more important for them in their run last year than most other people thought. Like most people look at Jimmy being a bit of a bubble, bubble god that he was and Bam being like like leveling up in the playoffs like he did. But – on on the edges, like Jay, like I don't think they win the Eastern Conference Finals without Jay Crowder spacing the floor like he did, doing what he did. I think Iguodala is a little too old for that. I think Tyler yeah. Hero is a little too small for that, yeah. right? And so I think I think that they weren't able to replace him in that way. Replacing, I don't think they were able to replace Crowder in that way. And so I'm. I'm expecting maybe a little bit more regression to the mean, but I could, I could be talked out of this. G- give me your thing. Sure. Sure. Okay. So the reason, I mean, you're definitely making me question myself a little bit. Um, but the reason that I have them in there is because 
three things to hammer home the coaching point again. Spolstra, fantastic. So two, underrated. Two, um, spacing. You know, that to me is, it's the, the I don't know what the aphorism is, but the, the grease that like makes modern NBA teams run, right? And they're not a ton of teams that have like just, just superstar shooters, right? Like those are kind of limited across the league because it's a really hard skill. And that's why Joe Harris got paid $70 million for the Nets. Right. Um, and so to have Tyler Hero and especially Duncan Robinson, like those two guys, spacing matters and being able to hit threes matter. And I think those shooting performances for them are a little bit even more projectable than uh, Jay Crowder, which, yeah, totally. He he went off and probably it was, it was a performance that was a little bit luck-based, you know, a little bit small sample size, but... I think, yes, he's a big loss, but I also think that they have a ton of young guys too, whether that's Tyler Hero, whether that's Bam, who are only going to get better, are only maturing both physically, mentally, um, their understanding of the game. And so for me, it's, it's they have the right combination of players. They have a culture that in the craziness of the bubble really helped them last year. And I think that's going to continue this year, right? Like either the playoffs end up in a bubble or it's this, weird quasi bubble situation that we've got going on right now where everything's up in the air. And so I, I trust hashtag heat culture to, to give them at least a little tiny bit of an advantage. Maybe it's not the same thing that they had last year, but I, I just, I think they're a reliable franchise. I think they're a reliable team in terms of they got pieces that make sense. They defend the hell out of the game, right? Like that's important to me too, because that's my, my last kind of thing to be a contender is you have to be balanced on both sides of the wall, right? Like we're going to get to the Mavericks in just a second, but I think you have to have a defense that's just as competent as however your offense is. And so I think they play a really hard to counter style that's based on motion and um, a lot of just, in, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're in- like, they're, they're like the Warriors. And yeah, that's why you like them so light. much. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they run a motion offense that I think it's it's harder to you know if it's got great players in it, which I think Bam, Jimmy Butler, yeah, he's not going to do the same thing that he did in the bubble. But I I really like Jimmy Butler. I think he's proven to be committed to you know to doing what the team needs. He's not taking threes because he's not good at it. And there are certain players like <laughs> Russell Westbrook, who if they had learned that lesson, right, like do what you're good at, do what helps the team win a little bit earlier in the career that might've, you know, set them apart. And so I just, I, I, I think that last year, yeah, it might've been a mirage for them to get to the finals and take a couple of games off an admittedly better Lakers team. But I think the, the things that they can build upon and the, the constituent parts that are there to me say this team is still a contender. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no real rebuttal there. I'm ready for them to prove me wrong because Bam is such a fun player. Yeah, but a team that's going to ask that much out of Jimmy Butler night in and night out still still gives me a little bit of hesitation. Sure, that's fair. That's totally fair. Now I want to I want to talk to you about the Mavericks because they're a pretender for you. They're a contender for me, and I want to tell you why. Last year their record was forty three and thirty two, right? Doesn't jump off the page, uh, but for all the stat heads out there, they're Pythagorean record, which was their record based off of point differential, was actually 48 and 27, meaning that 
they underperformed their expected win total by five games. And the, the reason this happened is because their record in one possession games was two and 11. Right. And any, any sort of statistical anomaly like that is bound to come back to the mean. And if they had gone even five and eight in those one possession games, then they all of a sudden become the four seed facing a disjointed Rockets instead of the seventh seed facing the Kawhi Leonard led Clippers. Right. And so even though that Lucas, some people may point to Lucas clutch numbers being down last year, uh, part of that may have just been, he didn't have the guys around him and people like threw their entire defense at him. Right. And they upgraded across the board this season Namely, obviously, the big pickup of Josh Richardson uh, replacing the Seth Curry slot, which is a slight downgrade Mm. in shooting, but a much bigger upgrade in defense, right? Allowing Tim Hardaway Jr. to now be guarding the other team's second wing option instead of the number one wing option. I'm going to go back to my earlier point of you need one of the premier players in the league to win the championship. And I honestly believe that Luca is one of those premier players. So with him being that player, plus a team upgrade and uh, a little bit more of a regression to the mean in terms of close one possession games. Yeah. I don't want to play Luca in the playoffs. I don't think any team wants to play Luca in the playoffs. We thought the Clippers would be the one team designed to contain him. And he had his way with Kawhi a few different games, right? And late in some of those games. So I, there's, I, 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 be, I believe in Luca, and I believe in the team that they're assembling around him. And I believe in Rick Carlisle to, to not fuck around with anything this year. Yeah. I, I, so I, it's really interesting that you mentioned Josh Richardson and Seth Curry, because that's uh, part of the reason that I'm a little bit down on them. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Seth Curry is a better player than Josh Richardson. I don't think that's true, but I also don't think either of them are difference makers. Um, you know, when they, the, the Sixers got Josh Richardson, they thought they were getting a guy who's really going to do some ball handling for them and space the floor for them. And the, maybe that's, you know, uh, something to say about Brett Brown or the two stars that they currently have in Philadelphia, but I don't think he he lived up to the reputation that he had coming in from Miami. Um, and so I think looking at the rest of their supporting cast, you know, I just, I'm not sure that there's another, even if Chris stops, you know, is able to recover from his, his injury and like be a guy he's, he's clearly since he got hurt in New York, um, not been the same shot creator, not been the, the kind of offensive, uh, flexible sort of player that that we were all hoping that he was going to be and so I think that puts too much of it on Luca. you know I still don't think they have somebody who's uh, a secondary playmaker that's good enough to really take this team to where it needs to go but all of that being said the offense wasn't the problem last year you know um, the, it, looking at just their their rankings um, in terms of offense and defense rating they had the best offense in the history of the NBA last year and they were, let's see, let's see on defense. They were down all the way at 18th 
on defense. Um, and so to me, like one of the things that you have to do to earn the title of contender is you have to be top 10 in both of those things. Because I think it doesn't matter how good you are on one end, if you're giving all those points back easily to, to not just, you know, any specific or not to one specific team, but to any specific team, I think that just gives you so much problems. The deeper you get in the playoffs and the deeper uh, an opposing coach can sit down and look at your your strategy and look at your scheme and try and pick it apart. And so for me, they just did not change the roster in any meaningful way. Like Josh Richardson, yeah, a little bit better player than Seth, but they're losing the shooting that you mentioned. And I don't see anybody else on here who I think is going to take a huge step forward on defense and going to help propel them into the top half of the league, let alone, you know, top 10. And so for me to, to be a contender, you have to have balance. And to me, this team is going to continue to be great offensively because Luca is a genius. But unless he starts to lock up players and unless he starts to have extra energy, you know, dealing with his, his really large role on offense to try and spend on the defensive end, I just don't see this team as having the well-roundedness that I want in a contender. Sure. And I may be a year or two early on the Mavericks. Part of that is because of how high I am on Luca, but uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, Hardaway Jr. impressed me defensively last year, not like in an all defensive way, but sliding him onto the other team's second wing option is not only going to make uh, be more effective in Josh Richardson now covering their best guy, but it's going to make life easier on Luca defensively as well. Uh, sure. I, sure. I love Maxi Kleber as a floor spacer. Uh, I am really excited about Terrell Terry. I think he's a guy who is going to impress a lot of people. He, I'm not going to label him as a potential rookie of the year just because Luca dominates the ball so much on this team. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I think he has potential to immediately slot in as a, as a, a second team ball handler that can take some of that pressure off Luca and Dorian Finney Smith is really coming into his own. And if, and this is a big, if, if Porzingis is able to come back healthy uh, at that center spot, then I think this team has that defensive jump potential. Okay. That, that, uh, that you, that you're looking for. I I think that with, with some of those few things around and Rick Carlisle being one of those underrated coaches. Yeah. Then I, 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 I believe in, again, having a top five player in the league is going to get you that championship. And I think Luca is the gotta be the second favorite for MVP this year. Maybe with voter fatigue, he already outplaces Giannis a little bit. I don't know. Well, I think, I, I, think I think he he's way ahead developmentally. Totally. I, I just to sidetrack for a second. I think Luca is the favorite from a like prediction market. I wouldn't say that I would pick him as the favorite to be the true and deserved MVP of the league. I still think that's probably Giannis, but yeah. I, to me, it's just it's the question of like you know you're talking about okay Tim Hardaway Jr. getting to defend the the second best guy. To me, between him and Josh Richardson, those aren't defensive difference makers. Those and they were only two out of, you know, the the ten guys or the nine guys on this team who were really going to get a lot of minutes. And so, I just kind of think that in order to play good defense, you have to have like a. Uh, oh, I've, I've lost the word again. Um, a 
oh, uh, what's the word for mass? Like, you know, when you're like a like a like a like a point of attack or a, a point of defense guy. Uh, no, no, it's like a tipping point. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, I I think you just have to you have to collect a certain number of competent to like above average defensive players that are in your rotation in order to have like a, a really good defense. And right now I see Kristaps, maybe Tim Hardaway, who's like, yeah, he, he had a good year last year. Do we believe that? And do we think he really like shuts people down in the way that you, you know, you need a wing stop or two or Josh Richardson, like good, maybe even very good, but not great. And so I, I just don't think there's enough, there's enough pieces here for as good as Carlisle is to, to them, for him to, to Frankenstein a, a competent defense. I hear you. And I think, I think we can both agree that uh, in a few years when LeBron's over the peak, when Kawhi's over the peak, um, I think Nuggets and uh, Mavericks are in pole position to really take over the Western Conference with the guys they've got together. Totally, totally. All right. Um, so yeah, do we want to move on? To... Yeah, we, so we, we spent a lot of time talking about our contenders. And in, uh, in the process of doing so, we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the pretenders that we have. So why don't we quickly go over our pretenders list? Okay, and I I'm think sorry. there's only really two teams worth a conversation over here. That yeah, do, uh, we, do we want to talk about the Nuggets or do we? Um, I I think I think we we've spent okay. a lot of time on contenders. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Moving right on. along, I believe in Jokic. Jamal Murray is a killer. That's all I have to say. Fair enough. Uh, so for the pretenders, again, these are teams that are considered contenders by many, but we don't think have a realistic chance of winning the finals this year. Uh, my pretenders personally are the Nets the Heat, the Warriors, and the Sixers. What about you, Riley? Yeah, I have the Bucks, which I've already mentioned, the Mavericks as well. I think people, like yourself, are really high on them, and I, I think I understand where it's coming from. I just think it's a year too early. I have the Rockets, um, which is complicated. You know, it depends on James Harden's situation because if he's obviously traded, then that's not the question anymore. I also have the Blazers. Um, I think they're giving more love than I – I think is is merited right now. Yeah, we've been we've been talking to a lot of people who are high on the Blazers this year, and I think Dame Lillard might be the coolest player in the NBA. If not, he's definitely top three, right? And I think his bubble performance and that cool factor masks a little bit that one, him and CJ aren't guarding anyone, and two, Nurkic kind of looks like he hasn't recovered any of his explosiveness from pre-injury and three, any team that is relying on Carmelo Anthony as a, a major scoring pre presence at this point. I, I, I think we don't have too much more to talk about with them. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Robert Covington a lot. I think I like him more than is probably warranted. Um, I was really hoping that the Warriors were going to trade for him when they tried to ship out the end of the wrestle. Um, but I, I don't think he's enough to, to put that team over the top. And I, I really like Terry Stotts. I really like Dame. I just, to me, like every single year in the playoffs, they, they overperform to get deeper than they probably should. And so we think that, you know, if they just make that next leap, that they're right there. 
when a lot of the time I, I think they've gotten some favorable matchups in the past. Um, yeah, they've got Nurkic coming back. I think he's a really good fit up there. I just, I just don't think the talent is there um, as good as Dame is, you know, like surrounding him. CJ is great, but he's, he's not the level of second star that I, I think you need to have. And so um, I, I, I like this team and I think they're going to do well. I just don't think they're going to do as well as everyone is expecting. And so that's why I'm labeling them a pretender because I, I just cannot see them competing beyond a conference finals at their very ceiling. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think them getting swept by the Warriors a few years ago is that ceiling. Yep. And yep. yeah. Uh, so speaking, to, speaking to, of. Yeah, a, a team on my list. I, I think I think we probably have time to talk about two more teams really quickly. Before sure. Getting out of here. Uh, let's talk about the Nets. Yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets coming in, coming into the start of this season? See, so I really wanted to put them on one or the other list because they're fascinating. And I, I held off on labeling them pretenders, even if um, that kind of is where I lean, just because their talent, you know, and assuming Katie looks quite good in the preseason, at least I'm hoping because I've drafted him in a number of fantasy leagues. But um, I, I just, I, I don't know what to make of them. And so I, I think if things go right, it's totally conceivable to me that they have the sort of talent and the sort of roster constructions to, to end up in the finals and, and be there and compete. Um, but I, I, I'm really skeptical of just the, the culture that has already started to come out of there. And I think I'm one of those people who believes culture matters because, because like things like we saw with the Clippers, right? Like if the locker room isn't harmonious and people don't either trust each other, play for each other or, or show up, to the games with the same commitment, like that ends up mattering a little bit in results. And sometimes your talent is good enough to win. And that's where Kyrie and Katie might just be that good. Um, but I think they both have injury concerns. I think they both are a little bit of head cases. And so I just, I don't, I don't know what to make of them. I don't know what, if their talent is going to overwhelm or, or they're going to fall completely apart. And I'm just delighted to see what happens. So why, why do you feel strongly that there's no way that they compete for a title? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to talk more about your culture point here in a second, but first I want to say, I'm very happy to see Kevin Durant back on a basketball court. I'm very yep. happy to see him back on a basketball court looking like his old self. We don't know how long that's going to hold up or uh, whether that can even hold up for, 35 minutes a game anymore, but I think the league is a better league with Kevin Durant in it. I was devastated to see that injury happen two years ago, and I wish nothing but the best for Mr. Kevin Durant. And I think he has proven that he can be a championship winner as the best player on that team. Now, I want to talk Ooh. about his... Ooh. That's whether, whether he was the best player, I, he was the best player in the world in 2017 and 2018. Did he benefit from mm. the Warriors system? Yes. Did he benefit from being on a team that was way deeper than the Cleveland Cavaliers were? Also, yes. But that's a conversation for a different podcast. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I, wanna, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I want to talk about his uh, co-star. <laughs> uh, it's sage burner, sage burner, flat earther, Kyrie Irving. Okay. 
Now, before we even talk about anything that's ever come out of his mouth, he has not shown that he can be healthy more than two times in his entire career, right? He lost his first finals because he was injured. Uh, He uh, was healthy for the next two seasons, relatively, and has not been healthy in a season since 2017, right? So first off, he, he's got metal screws in his knees. Like he's a small point guard who relies on explosiveness. I don't uh, like his shoulder thing was crazy. I don't trust that body to hold up over an entire season. And the nets skill wise, one of the deeper teams in the Eastern conference, but two things. One, I don't know if they're going to be able to defend anyone, especially if Deandre Jordan is getting starts over Jarrett Allen which is going to be happening. Oh, it it totally will. And secondly, in order for them to reach their ceiling offensively to even be a better version of the Wizards last year, right? I think that they need need Dinwiddie to buy into being the sixth man. And they need Levert to be happy with getting 10 touches a game and a bunch of spot-up shots, right? Those are two guys who, because of the injuries last year, and because of what their team was like before KD and Kyrie showed up, have been leaders of this team. I think guys like Joe Harris and Jared Allen are going to look to them too before they're going to look to the two other superstars. And Kyrie listed all of them as being available to trade the second he got to Brooklyn last year, right? And he, yeah. Kyrie views himself as a leader, views himself as a person whose voice needs to be heard. And if anyone else in that locker room besides KD is willing to do that, I'll be shocked, right? He's just a weird guy. And Steve Nash was a decent hire because he's friends with Kevin Durant. But being buddies with Kevin Durant doesn't mean that Steve Nash will be able to tell KD or Kyrie to shut the hell up if that needs to happen, right? I think there were... Beyond, I think there are a lot of other established veteran coaches in this league, especially black established African-American coaches who could have come in and really made a difference in this locker room. I don't know if Steve Nash is that guy. So beyond Kyrie's body, not being able to make it through a season beyond the ability that they're going to be a, like a low defense team. I don't think they're going to have the offensive buy-in to get behind Durant and Kyrie. I don't think those guys have the universal respect that a LeBron James has. I, I, the, the, like the smoke is coming off your ears. You're on fire. That was such a strong take. And I, I, i basically agree with everything you said. Um, I, I actually have a little bit more hope for Steve Nash than it sounds like you do. Um, because I think he's one of those dudes whose emotional intelligence just seems really high. Um, and he he's done a good job as the general manager for Basketball Canada in the past. Obviously, that's very, very different um, from what he's being thrown into now. I think it helps that he's got Mike D'Antoni there. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really difficult situation for, for a first-time coach. And I think it's, it's for me, it's less a question of like how capable is he versus how much is he going to be allowed to be the coach? You know, when Kyrie is saying stuff like, oh, anyone can be the coach, it just, it shows that there's not been an established seniority and an established um, culture of like, this is our, our leader. This is the person we're listening to and following. And so I think that's a real problem. Um, just a point of clarification. It sounds like Spencer Didwitty is actually going to start um, 
which is kind of interesting to me because it does diminish a little bit of his playmaking, but he's one of the better players. So I, I think that's not the end of the world. I, I agree with you. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna really struggle to defend. And who the hell knows what this team looks like? Because they could uh, trade for James Harden, which throws a massive wrench in all of this. And maybe that, that, that trade kind of hanging out there. And like you said, Kyrie being willing to ship anyone off uh off to off to Houston like ends up being something that's in the back of everyone's mind and, and prevents them from coalescing and, and finding an identity and finding a, a chemistry that that is I think necessary for teams to compete for championships. Yeah. You make a great point that the impending hardened trade is really the scepter that's hanging over the entire rest of the league right now because that trade is going to single-handedly bring the Rockets out of the championship picture and bring some other team to the forefront of it. Now, it could be the Nets, and good luck defending those three players if they get to be healthy at the same time, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. You and I are both not the biggest James Harden guys. He's already run out two All-NBA teammates over the last few years. Uh, so what three. Are, three. So how do we know that these two guys are going to be different. Uh, but again, James Harden is another, another topic for another day. The other team that has the James Harden possibility hanging over them is the Philadelphia 76ers, right? I think zero people would be surprised if Daryl Morey decided to trade for his guy, James Harden, tomorrow. Right? Yep, so. Yep. And it's if that I'd happens, probably expect. Yeah. If that honest. happens, this conversation changes. But people still want to talk about the 76ers as a championship contender as constructed. Do you agree, Riley? I I don't know. Um, everyone was really a lot of the people that I like, I, I were very high on them last year, you know, saying oh, their defense is going to be all world historic and they're gonna figure stuff out. And so I think even with a new coach, even with a new front office, I just fundamentally don't think that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have games that are compatible enough or have shown the willingness to work together to overcome the you know lack of fit in that situation to the point that it's just going to hold them back until they figure out a direction and a scheme that that works better for that team. And so as much as I think they're interesting and as much as I think they have two of the, I don't know, top 15 guys in the league. Um, that's really kind of, it's just not, it's a problem. Um, sorry. Let me, let me take that again. Um, and hold on. I'm just trying to read your message. And, that was really good. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. So it, for me, it's like that fundamental fit issue is just never going away. Um, and to, to make one point like that, that you address, right. is like, even if they trade for James Harden, I still would never label them contenders because I, I think there's something about him and his style that is going to prevent him from ever winning. And so I, I, I there's just, there's something that needs to be figured out there. And I'm not sure that James Harden is the answer, but I don't have any of the answers. Yeah. Uh, even at last year, last off season, people were lining up to talk about the Sixers as being, uh, contenders with the Al Horford, Josh Richardson 
uh, stuff going on. And I didn't get it at all. Bill Simmons was talking about it. Uh, Kevin O'Connor was talking about it. I didn't understand it at all. I was like, where's the playmaking going to come from? And Simmons and Embiid are never going to win together. And then they fell apart because of lack of playmaking and Simmons and Embiid never really being able to play with each other. And I think that that, the, I think their team around them makes a lot more sense right now than it did totally, last year. Totally. I think Daryl Morey is one of the best executives in the league and did what he could to support the two stars that he has, but they don't have anyone who can take over the last two minutes of a playoff game. And I think that that's going to be a problem. And I think that the Heat and the Celtics and the Raptors and the Bucks will all sort of tear through those guys. Yep. I, I mean, they definitely, I love Al Horford, but I think his, his existing in that uh, environment last year was a problem for them. And so, you know, changing him out for a, still a decent shooter in Danny Green helps. But there's just something about like the mental gymnastics that I have to do to try and envision Embiid and Simmons like producing championship level results. It, it makes me very pessimistic that they can figure that out too. Um, because it's just, it's so hard. You know, it's like you see even Kyrie and Katie, right? Like to me, those aren't games that are necessarily complimentary, but their position, the way they like to play, I, I can, I can imagine it and I can see it. And, Joel and, and Ben just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. And maybe that's my own fault, but I don't know if Doc Rivers either is the, the creative kind of genius that is gonna be able to solve that problem either. So we will see. He couldn't right, solve um, he couldn't solve the Montrez Harrell is too short to guard uh Jokic riddle. I don't know if he's the guy to solve this one. Yep, yep, exactly. And I actually I'm just fascinated to see how Daryl Morey like puts his, you know, fingerprints on this team because right now he's done a little bit of it, but it it'll really say something about what he thinks he has and what he thinks is important and what he thinks is the key to winning when they trade or don't trade Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and he finally you know says, all right, this is what we're committing to and this is the direction we're going because I think the last front office didn't really have the the guts to to make that commitment and i think more does and i'm i'm just fascinated to find out what it is oh yeah okay um as much as we could keep talking about all of this all day i think that's a great place to leave it um we named maybe half half the league in this conversation which is is really a a great place for our first podcast so thank you to everyone uh whether it's two people, whether it's three people, I'm not not sure. But thank you all for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Hockey Assist. You can look for new episodes that will drop each Wednesday morning, and you're going to be able to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever sort of platform you get your podcast. If you have feedback about this conversation, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, either by leaving a comment or review or hitting me up on Twitter at BadLuckRiley. I encourage anyone to, to give us encouragement or biting criticism because that's how this is going to get better. Uh, we really hope that you enjoyed the show and we can't wait to bring you more. So for Nolan Cope, do you have anything to say, Nolan? Uh, this has been a real pleasure and I enjoy our, our conversations about this game that we both love and I can't wait to, to do this more in the future. Fantastic. All right. For Nolan Cope, 
I'm Riley Gauthier, checking out episode one of the Hockey Assist. Have a wonderful day and talk to you soon.